Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Bike Walk Wichita monthly podcast. I'm Kim Newfeld, Executive Director, and I'm at Bike Walk Wichita's new headquarters recording with Amy. Hello, everyone, and settle in, Kelly. We've got a lot to cover this episode. Yes, Alan sits down and interviews Gary Jansen, the Assistant Director of Public Works Engineering. We have a long list of upcoming events you'll want to get on your calendar. We have advocacy updates and, of course, an update on our big move. Thanks for tuning in and joining us as we talk all things Bike Walk. Well, Bike Walk Wichita officially closed on our new property at 325 North St. Francis, and we are so excited. Yes, this is wonderful. We can't thank Stan, Wanda, and his crew enough for working with us to make this dream a reality. And a special shout out to Carl at Insight, who is the best realtor ever. Yes, and so now the work begins. Volunteers have moved hundreds of bikes. We've started setting up our recycle shop and office space. There's painting going on, repairs, and organizing is underway. And we could always use more help. Yeah, it kind of feels like we're moving from our first apartment rental to our first home. And yes. so it is really exciting and I think really special. It's been fun spending time with the volunteers who have been able to come in and help mm -hmm. us make this our new home. And so we, we definitely appreciate that. It has been quite a process, you know, meeting contractors and trying to figure out how to make this space function for yeah. all the different types of classes and programming and, and also to create a social space for everybody. So definitely has been a challenge, but we are excited and officially moved in. Yeah. Definitely hope all of you can stop by and check out the new space uh, at, when we open soon. You know, not all the changes we want to make can happen right away. So please be a little patient with us. Yes, it is definitely going to be a project, you know, throughout the winter and next year to mm -hmm. make. I mean, this is a significantly larger property. Mm -hmm. It's actually two properties that we were able to purchase. So plenty of space to do all sorts of great things. But realizing all those dreams and making them a reality is, yeah. is where we need the volunteers uh, to help make the magic happen. Right. So. And as with a lot of transitions and stuff, there are unexpected things that come up. And sadly, Kevin, our recycle shop manager, has moved back to Boise. Yes, boo. We were so sad um, and excited for him at the same time. So we wish Kevin well and truly appreciate all of the updates that he made to the recycle shop and to our organization mm -hmm. uh, for the time that he was with us. So we definitely wish him well and plan to visit him in Boise as much yes, as possible. Absolutely. He actually told me, he's like, don't bring your bikes because you'll never want to leave. <laughs> that is is probably true. So what is coming up on our calendar? Wow, we have a ton of events in October and in November that you definitely want to check out. October 1st, the second annual Nomar Custom Car and Bike Show will be up there at 21st Street. And Market, definitely come swing by, get some good food, hang mm -hmm. out, uh, meet some local vendors. Also, we have our Fairmount Walks continuing still mm -hmm. every Saturday, 8 a.m., meeting at Fairmount Park at 15th and Gentry. Our Walking Wednesdays. It's Walktober. Yes. I know. Um, so our Walking Wednesdays are back at 5.30 p.m. You can check out the, the locations change every week. So you want yeah. to be sure to check either our Facebook page or our calendar at bikewalkwichita.org. Absolutely. I cannot wait for that series to get back going. Mm -hmm. We also have a Thursday walk 
right in the first week of October with MCARE Health. Uh, they are a healthcare organization and looking to open up and have a nice friendly walk along the Arc River Path. So definitely check out our calendar for all sorts of walks during yes. October. Also, I will be accepting a city proclamation declaring the month of October, Walktober, on October 11th. So if anyone wants to join me down at City Hall at 9 a.m., the city council will, will proclaim that Walktober for us. So That's exciting. Yes. So on October 9th, we have our always our second Sunday slow roll and stroll. So we'll be starting at 2.30 p.m. at our brand new headquarters, 325 North mm -hmm. St. Francis. Join us for a walk and a ride. And October 11th, also, our recycle shop opens. So yeah. all hands on deck for that. We've definitely had people, you know, kind of beating down our door, missing us. Yes, and we are already accepting donations every single day here at the new property. So mm -hmm. appreciate that. We have our Midtown Trail Cleanup October 16th, and then we have a special event in partnership with REI and Kansas Single Track Society. We are hosting a 101 Women's Single Track event, mm -hmm. so I have never ridden single track. I haven't either. Okay, so October 22nd, we are meeting at Canoe Launch, which is down south, kind of close to Hayesville. They have an awesome path that REI mm -hmm. just helped fund and put in with Kansas Single Track. And we will get to experience, you know, in a nice, safe environment. Yes, so. yes. And trust me, you will not be the only one falling or fumbling around because <laughs> the, I'm right there with you. Single track is so out of my comfort zone. It is going to be fun. We also, of course, have our evergreen neighborhood rides and walks going on in October. So check the Facebook page and calendar for those. And you definitely want to get your tickets early for the Pedals to Pages event. We are bringing in two Guinness World Record holders November 5th to speak and to share their books and their efforts and what they're doing and what it takes to yes. make a world record attempt and to actually be successful uh, as a cyclist. So mm -hmm. very exciting wine, food, drinks, fun. Um, it will be a great time. So definitely uh, tickets are available and limited. We have a nice VIP before. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. definitely want to check out the Pedals yes. to Pages event. You can find it right on our website. Hello, I am Alan Kaler. And today we're talking with Gary Jansen, the Assistant Director of Public Works and the City Engineer for the City of Wichita. We're recording this in early September 2022. Welcome to Bike Walk Wichita, Gary. Thank you, Alan. Thank you very much for giving us your time and uh, the chance to talk to you. We're looking forward to it. I appreciate being here. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your background. Uh, sure. So coming up in January, I've been with the city of Wichita for 28 years. So wow. this has been my career after I graduated from K-State. It's all been in the, uh, in the engineering business. So I've, I've done a variety of things working all in public works engineering with the city, uh, being involved with construction projects for a period of time. And then I got involved on the design side, project development. I've been the city engineer for the last 10 years now, going on 11. So it's evolved over that course of time, being involved in a lot of things project related, every type of infrastructure project that, that we provide services for for the city. I've had some part of that Great. for quite some time now. It's gone pretty fast. Well, we are Bike Walk Wichita, so we like to start out with a with a question about what what's your experience with biking and walking in Wichita or your your family. So I have four kids; they're all grown now. Okay, 
I actually have two grandkids now, but my granddaughter just turned two, so she's all over the place now. And <laughs> my son and my daughter-in-law, they like to get out with them, and, and they like to be able to find places to walk. So, you know, when my kids were younger, we liked to spend a lot of time, especially down by the river on the river pass. Mm -hmm. They really seemed to enjoy that. But we also took the opportunity to find uh, other places where we could, even just using the local sidewalk network where we live. I actually live up in Valley Center now. And so as they as they grew up there, a uh, little bit smaller town, it's kind of different. But we still found uh, there's some good path systems up there, good walking trails. So, you know, my kids don't do it so much anymore. But when they were younger, certainly like to get out on their bikes too. Mm -hmm. So we've never had much opportunity to, to utilize transit. From a walking and biking perspective, we, we always tried to get out as much as we could. And again, with the two new little ones now. I know my sons, they like to get out and do the same things. As you know, I'm also involved with the Active Transportation Committee on the WEMPO, the Wichita Area Metropolitan Planning Organization. One of the things that we've seen in the Active Transportation Committee is that most of the communities around Wichita, including Valley Center, have plans, active transportation plans to improve their sidewalk and their bike and pedestrian forward to that yeah. on a regional yeah. basis. Um, before we get into some of my questions, I'd like to ask you just what you're excited about, what's coming up, what are excited about in your job? Well, I get involved in, like I said, a lot of things. Everything that we do related to public infrastructure, I spend a lot of time working closely with the city council on a variety of different issues, looking at long-range planning. Um, they recently improved the new capital improvement program and budget for the next two years, and so there's always a lot of effort that goes into that community outreach, but a couple things, you know, that I might highlight. The next big thing up for us is replacement of the Amadon Street Bridge. Mm -hmm. We just had a public information meeting last night with our construction staff and our contractor because construction is going to start soon. So we'll start restricting traffic on September 19th and the bridge will close on October 4th. So it's coming soon. And needless to say, there's some concerns from the neighborhood about what's going to happen with traffic routing through there. So it's, it's something we're cognizant of and working with them on. But it's been a big effort uh, working with Councilmember Ballard, working with the community. That bridge is kind of in a unique place with the river, both rivers, right? Mm -hmm. you got one river mm -hmm. on either side. Creates some issues with access through there. But that's something we've been working really hard on. We're glad to be there. Uh, it's It's got to be done. You know, the bridge mm -hmm. has got to be replaced. So. We've done everything we could to get to this point, and we're ready to go. So we, I think as most people know, we're building a new water treatment plant. Mm -hmm. uh, it's coming along really well. Uh, anybody that spends time up on Zoo Boulevard near 21st and Hoover <laughs> yes. can really start to see it taking mm -hmm. shape. Uh, you know, it's good timing when you look at, so that new treatment plant is going to do a lot of things for us. Needless to say, it's going to replace an old aging plant. But it's going to provide a lot more resilience and versatility for us on what we can do with how we treat and provide water to our citizens and really to the region. You know, we're a regional water provider. But it's going to do a lot to help us with drought resiliency. You know, you look around the country right now and you see a lot of people that are really battling drought right now and water supply issues. So we're looking certainly to the future. And this new plant is going to really help us with that too. Uh, last thing I might mention KDOT through their Eisenhower Legacy Transportation Plan, also known as Ike, uh, has a lot of things coming up in the Wichita region, in particular, kind of on a north and east corridor. Mm -hmm. So 
The next phase of the North Junction uh, will be getting started uh, early next year, and that's really the biggest part of the North Junction. Everybody's seen kind of what's happening with that flyover. It's kind of fun to watch that come together. But they're getting ready to, KDOT's getting ready to open bids on the next phase that will take care of a lot of the issues between 135 and K96 in both directions. So that project's coming. It's supposed to be completed in 2025. The continuation of East Kellogg Freeway expansion is kicking into high gear. KDOT's decided to take that on as a progressive design build project in an effort to also get that done by the end of 2025. Mm -hmm. That'll continue this freeway expansion similar to what's, uh, you know, we've seen over some time now through through downtown Wichita and, and going east and west. It'll make some improvements at K96 where there's some real, real issues there with congestion and safety, but it'll continue out past 159. The goal of that is to be finished by the end of 2025. So, so you get those bookends done, North Junction and East Kellogg. And after that, then the expansion of K96 will start up in 2026, going to six lanes between 135 and 21st Street. So design of K96 has started. There's a lot of public engagement that's underway. And so, um, you know, the properties within that area, especially adjacent to the project, are going to be involved in a lot of discussions coming soon. So that's over $600 million that KDOT's investing mm. through the Eisenhower Transportation Plan in those corridors. And it's really needed, you know, to help our community keep growing, uh, to provide safety through those corridors. So we've got a lot of involvement in that. So definitely keeping us busy on that end. You mentioned the uh, water plant projects. Actually, I was at the District 5 Advisory Board meeting last night, and I told Councilmember Fry, the more I read about some of the other communities and their water issues and so forth around the country, the, the more I appreciate the, the foresight and the persistence in uh, Wichita getting uh, that uh, underway. And, that definitely looks like prescient uh, thinking on, on what was needed there. Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, it's been needed for some time. And, you know, something that big, when you're looking at a half a billion dollar project, takes a lot of takes a lot of time and a lot of effort to bring things together. So, yeah, it's, our timing is good. <laughs> yes. Well, you may have already addressed this in some of what you just said, but uh, what are your biggest challenges? So we saw some revenue impacts from COVID. You know, it's just as a lot of people did. I was talking to somebody yesterday looking back to when COVID first started and we had no idea what it was. And I can remember having a meeting with staff and we were projecting at that time, honestly, just, just having no clue that we may, you know, three or four weeks, who knows, and start planning for that, not knowing that two and a half, three years later, we're still, we're still going through some things. But what that did, uh, it, it did certainly impacted the revenue, especially on the uh, transportation funding which is a lot of what we do, uh, even if that's for arterial street uh, reconstruction, safety improvements, intersection improvements, the work I talked about, North Junction, Kellogg, things like that, anything related to transportation, which is also bike and pet improvements, we saw a pretty big hit on revenue. And so we had a real gap. If you look at our capital improvement program, in 2021 and 2022, there's almost no projects in there that were programmed for construction. Now, yeah. we were able to keep design moving forward yeah. uh, because we kind of looked long-term and said, you know, if we also stop designing projects, we're going to be even farther uh, behind and in a bad spot. Once we start to see revenue come back, we've got nothing ready for construction, right? And we've still got a lot of needs in the community. Uh, a lot of things that we're doing, the focusing on the core area and the downtown streets, 
we wanted to be able to keep moving forward on design to be ready to move those projects forward. Same on the bike ped. Uh, we've got multiple programs for funding uh, for sidewalks, arterial sidewalks, that we continue to get requests about. That was put on hold, so we've kind of got a list backed up that we're going to be able to get on top of. That's starting to get better. We're starting to see that come around. Uh, looking at the new capital improvement program that was just approved by the council, projected revenues are looking better. Uh, so we're, so we're going to be able to start getting moving on some projects again. The other issue for us has been staffing. Across the engineering community, there's been a real shortage of staff. I'm not exactly sure that anybody's been totally able to wrap their arms around why, but with a lot of the federal relief funds that came from ARPA, uh, there was a lot of projects that got underway uh, as we started coming out of COVID that needed to move pretty quick, right? And so there's a lot of things that have continued to happen and really ramped up. You know, what's happened with the low interest rates and the housing community has been pretty unprecedented and unlike we've seen in the past. Uh, even here in Wichita, local developers, uh, they're building, still building residential housing about as fast as you can at a rate that I don't know that we've ever seen. And even with an increase in the, in the interest rates, it doesn't seem to be slowing down just yet. So that drives a need uh, for more engineers, for more, especially within the design community. Uh, but even on our end, uh, for project management and oversight of construction, it's just been a real challenge to find engineers. We, we historically have looked to hire graduate engineers right out of college and kind of build our own pipeline. But those graduate engineers are being offered 30 40% more than we can offer them. Mm. And so we've got no chance, you know, mm -hmm. of even hiring. Mm -hmm. and, and I've heard that same from consulting engineers. And it's tough right now. It's really tough uh, staffing. So, you know, we're doing everything we can to make sure that we're not overloading the people that we've got, mm -hmm. trying to balance workloads, uh, trying to make sure that people aren't getting burnt out, hopefully. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we'll get there, and hopefully that starts to settle down at some point, too. So those are probably the two of the biggest challenges that we've faced. Starting, I think, to see the light on the funding side and keep our fingers crossed that we can figure something out with the staffing part of it. You mentioned the... Uh adoption of the capital improvement plan earlier. Uh, one of the big issues in there that came up this year was the funding of the paving of the unpaved streets. I don't know how much you've gotten into the details of exactly what that's going to involve, but can you talk to us a little bit about how you're approaching that, what the priorities are, maybe the timing to the extent that you know? Sure. So within the Approved capital improvement program is $31 million over the next 10 years for paving of dirt streets. We've got 90, roughly 90 center lane miles of unpaved roads across the community. You know, histor over time, historically, the, the reason why, a lot of people ask why within the core of our community do we still have unpaved streets, you know, and, and the way Wichita developed is not entirely unlike other communities, but Nearly all the streets that are paved in this community were paid for by the people who use the streets, right? We uh, utilize state statute to establish a benefit district for those who have bought the streets, property owners that are on the streets generally pay for it. That's how all new development works, right? Everything we do with extension of public services, including the streets, is all paid for by those people that live in those neighborhoods. So we've got areas, and I've been directly involved in that over the years too, where we've seen attempts to get petitions and it just doesn't happen. You know, there are some people 
that like to live on a dirt street. They've told us that. But but regardless of that, that, that just kind of gets you to a point of explaining why we've still got some dirt streets. So with this new CIP, uh, the council has expressed a desire to start providing capital funding for that. And, 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 and how it's going to work is this. So in the first year, there's a million dollars. And that gradually increases to $4.5 million annually by 2030. So it's going to start a little bit slow with just a million dollars the first year. First priority is dirt streets within, within one block of schools. Right now we have a, a program in place where we provide uh, treatment for dust abatement near those schools. Mm -hmm. So we will save some funding there by paving those streets within one block of schools. That's estimated to be around $4 million. So we should be able to get through those in about the first three years. After that, paving will be targeted in the lowest income census areas in the census block. So looking at the, the, the areas that are the lowest income, you know, below poverty level across the community, that's how those are going to be prioritized going forward. So as we venture into this, uh, we'll, we'll see what, you know, how, what things are costing, what our timing looks like, We'll be having more discussion with the council on this in mid-October uh, when they approve or they are asked to approve next year's pavement preservation program. It kind of ties in a little bit uh, with what we're doing with this dirt treat paving, and that's where some of that funding offset comes from. So we'll, we'll be discussing both of those with council at the same time, make sure that they're still okay with, with what our priority list looks like and how we're approaching this. So there's going to be a lot more coming. We'll know a lot more uh, here in the next couple of months, but that's where we're starting. Okay, great. Uh, that's actually much more detailed than what I had understood. You mentioned that the first priority is going to be around the schools, presumably to provide better access to the schools and a, and a better environment for around the schools. Is that going to include sidewalks on those streets? There's no plan for sidewalks at this point in time. It's for the paving only. That question had been asked at one time. Uh, you know, some of these schools do have sidewalk access, and, and it's not always that the, these dirt streets are directly in front of the school. They just might be within a block. And so some of the schools still do have, a lot of the schools still do have sidewalk access. But right now, uh, more from a, a funding perspective than anything, there's not going to be anything done except for the paving of the streets themselves. As you know, Bikewalk Wichita has been involved in advocating for safer bike and pedestrian facilities throughout the city. And the city has made some great strides uh, recently in a number of different projects, the uh, 17th Street, uh, Mount Vernon, uh, the Broadway uh, Corridor, and so forth. Despite uh, our, our efforts, I understand that there are considerations other than uh, bike and ped pedestrian access in designing some of these streets. I'd like to focus maybe on a couple of recent projects and talk about what your thought process is and, and uh, how you, you work through that. The two projects that I thought of uh, are North Broadway, 13th to 21st, and, and West Street, uh, south of 235. If you've got a better examples of uh, how, to, how to talk about that, that'd be fine. But would you be able to talk to us what the considerations were there and, and how you worked through that? Sure. We've got several things that guide us as we look through development of projects. Uh, every year when we, when we start looking at the capital improvement program again, and we've got this long list of projects in there and trying to look at priorities, you know, we've got the bicycle master plan from 2013. It really helps guide us a lot. That's in the process of being updated, as you're aware. 
which is good. Uh, but we, we've been able to rely on that, and it's been a real good tool for us. So when we start looking at improvements, anything that we're going to do, even from a maintenance perspective and pavement preservation, we're looking at, at long-term goals for multimodal accommodations, right? Mm -hmm. Bike and pedestrian. We've always done, I think, a really good job on the pedestrian side for a lot longer than we have on the bicycle side, right? So we've tried to catch up to that and make sure that we're trying to accommodate both at the same time. So I mentioned our pavement preservation program, our annual program, in the range of 11 to $12 million a year, and that continues to increase each year. And part, as part of that, we'll resurface some of our streets, right? We've got 5,100 lane miles of roads across the city. We've got this big model that everything plugs into condition analysis of all the streets, we look for an optimized way to preserve our pavements, which includes uh, resurfacing of some of our arterial streets and even some of the collector streets where maybe the bicycle boulevards are. But what happened then in the last couple of years uh, to help with that is the city council approved funding for what, the, what we call multimodal accommodation. So we have a specific funding source now that parallels with our outsourced pavement preservation program and each year we look ahead at all the streets that are going to be resurfaced and we look for opportunities if there are the, uh, such to make multimodal accommodations to make changes. Broadway from 13th to 21st Street really rose to the top as a great opportunity four-lane roadway uh, to look at converting to three-lane with on-street bike lanes, which is what we did. And that additional funding, that multimodal accommodations funding, provides the necessary means for additional pavement markings because when you add bike lanes, you've got the bicycle markings, you've got signage. Um, when you've got now a center-left turn lane, there's quite a bit more that goes into it than what if we would have just put that back as a four-lane. So that was a good resource to have that additional funding. But it also made us just start looking ahead more uh, for those types of opportunities. Because of the efforts of, of what Scott Wadel had done uh, over some course of time, looking at the Broadway corridor south of there, uh, basically from 13th Street down to about 3rd Street, and looking at the idea, he had undertaken a study uh, when he was more in the role of kind of our multimodal coordinator. Of course, now he's the planning director, but he had led the effort to look at that Broadway corridor. And so that gave us a head start on thinking that this whole Broadway corridor may work better as three lanes. So with all of that together, we started taking a closer look at North Broadway. We went through the public engagement process. Really didn't hear from a lot of people. We did discuss this with the Bike Fed Advisory Board. We went to District Advisory Board 6. We invited all the adjacent property owners. I think it's worked tremendously well. So our pavement preservation program resurfaced all of Broadway, made base repairs, put a new surface down. I think it's worked tremendously well, and it's done a couple things. Midtown bike path, uh, which basically the north terminus of is at 15th and Broadway. And you mentioned the 17th Street improvements from Broadway to 135, which now includes on-street bike lanes. There's a gap in there, mm -hmm. and really not much way to connect those two. But with those on-street bike lanes now on Broadway, 13th to 21st, it provides a nice connection. Probably not perfect scenario, but it's a lot better than what we had. And that, that fills a huge gap in our, our bike path system. Because as you go east on 17th, you can head north to Grove Park and catch the K96 system. Mm -hmm. 
as you go south from the Midtown path, you end up down at the river. So mm -hmm. that was a glaring gap. And then by being able to do that on 13th, it worked really well. Going from four lanes to three lanes provides some inherent safety improvements. Um, we just finished up doing the same thing on McLean from Central to 13th, which has generated a lot of public comment, good and bad. Studies have shown over time going from four lanes to three lanes will reduce rear end crashes by as much as 40% because you've got those offset turning movements, right, where you have a hard time seeing. You've also got people waiting in a through lane, all those things. So right. we're excited to see how that goes. You know, we've made some conversions from four to three lanes on 17th from Hillside to Oliver, adjacent mm -hmm. to Wichita State, along a uh, long stretch of Mount Vernon. And so far, we've been really pleased with the results. We've heard a lot of good things from the public. So uh, that's, that's something good. we're continuing to look at going forward, again, with, associated with our pavement preservation program. You mentioned 235 South, uh, or West Street South of 235. And we've got two projects. It's, it's actually going to be one big project down to 47th Street that's under design right now. You know, our typical standard on arterial streets uh, has been for some time is that we build at a minimum, six foot wide sidewalk on both sides of the arterial street. But then I referenced, I talked before about referencing the bicycle master plan. Using that as our guiding principle then, that plan identifies almost every corridor in this community and whether uh, it should be on-street bike paths, multi-use path. But there's some things that come into play, physical attributes, geometrics and things that kind of end up guiding what we need to do. So that area, south of 235 on West Street, the way the road was built when it was in the county, the way the drainage was established, we typically try to go in and lower the road, uh, close up the ditches, we put in an underground drainage system, you know, get everything to drain to the road. The way things were built down there, we can't do that, and some of the ditches are going to have to stay, especially on the west side. So right now our plan is only to have a multi-use path on the east side of West Street for that full stretch from 235 down to 47th Street and nothing on the west side because of the presence of those ditches and the only way that we can maintain the drainage is to keep that. That's something that we looked at through public engagement process, providing all the proper notes like we typically do, looked at it with the district advisory board and the city council, so that's what we're moving forward with. At the north end of that project, we will try to get through, under and through the 235 interchange to connect to existing sidewalk on the north mm -hmm. side of the interchange. So that's a little bit different than we typically mm -hmm. see uh, down there on West Street. But you know, I think it's important. We had questions that were asked about, well, there's not much density down there. You see some residential development at 47, but you get some gaps in there with commercial development. Some of it's industrial down in MacArthur, and a question was asked, is anybody going to use it? Is there really that much value? And we started to see that they are, you know, and, and people want that connectivity. And so we've been a lot more cognizant, I think, in recent years of trying to provide those facilities, you know, wherever we can. One of Bikewalk Wichita's other programs is our recycle program, where we essentially take donations of bikes, fix them up, and give them away. Uh, we work a lot with uh, agencies like the Police Department Homeless Outreach Team and the International Rescue Committee that works with refugees and so forth. We have a lot of people coming in to get their bikes to ride to and from work. And we've started asking people where where they live, where they work, where, they, where they're riding their bike. And we 
have a number of people who have jobs down in that area that don't have another uh, method of transportation and do ride their bikes through there. Uh, also up in uh, North Wichita along Broadway. So having safer facilities for them, even though they're not what you think of as your typical uh, cyclist, uh, you know, weekend warrior types, uh, they you know using their bikes for transportation, and that's very useful for their for them. Yeah, we hear that a lot. You know, I, I've uh, like I said, I've been at this for 28 years. I've gotten to know a lot of people in the community, and just even colleagues in the industry. And I hear from a lot of people that want to be able to get their families out and bicycle, and, and especially when they've got younger families. And they, I hear a lot of appreciation about on-street bike lanes and multi-use paths where they can feel a lot safer to use a facility. So it's always good to hear that. In our advocacy role with Bike Walk Wichita, we work with a lot of the city's departments, the Park and Rec, and Transit, and so forth. But we probably spend more time uh, working with the engineering department and interacting uh, with you than we do with any other department. And by the way, uh, I do want to express our appreciation. You have been uh, very responsive, uh, very uh, willing to answer our questions and to respond to our emails and so forth. So we appreciate that. I'd like to see if you can talk to us a little bit about how engineering and public works uh, interacts with these other departments, because they obviously have an interest in the, the streets and uh, in the bike and pedestrian facilities, like I say, transit, parks and recs on the, the paths in the parks and along the river and, and so forth. What is the relationship among the different departments as far as the bike and pedestrian facilities particularly? I think one of the places where we've grown the most probably in the last handful of years is a lot better with internal collaboration. Uh, within within the city and, and the groups that you talked about, you know, in Public Works Engineering, our first goal is project delivery, and and that when, and what that means is we support a lot of departments uh, as a support service, and and generally they you know they are the sponsoring department because they're the ones that have the funding, um, but we we've we've come to work so closely with all of them you know we actually have two former park staff that now work in engineering who are project managers on the park side so that's been really invaluable for us we always work close with them before anyway. Uh, but having them within our offices work even better because they've got a direct connection still to our park director, Troy Houtman, other park staff, have a good understanding where the funding comes from. So we've worked really, really hard uh, to, to really foster those partnerships, again, to work on collaborating as much as we can. You know, I mentioned several times about development of the annual, annual development of the capital improvement program. And it's pretty much ongoing. We, we continue that. You know, even with the CIP that was just approved, we'll start looking again at next year's CIP and talking about programming, where we need to be, uh, working with Wichita Police Department on public safety issues and how we can make improvements, on, especially on a bike bed side, uh, to contribute to that. You work closely with Tia Ramon, who is a transportation planner now within our transit department. Mm -hmm. I haven't fully wrapped my mind around calling them the transportation department yet, but I know we're trying to get there. They're probably always going to be transit to me. <laughs> uh, but but Tia has been really a big help. She 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 came in and, and took over the role that Scott Wadle effectively had been in. Scott now is our planning director. So I've really uh, we've really tried to connect with Tia and spend time with her. And I know she's been she's been working really hard to wrap her arms around a lot of things. Mm -hmm. You know, she's helping spearhead the new bicycle master plan, 
everything that's multimodal, she gets involved in. So she's a huge resource for us and someone that I encourage my staff and I always stay in contact with her, uh, working through the Bike Fed Advisory Board, things like that. So having that connection with her has been, has been really important. Uh, multimodal accommodations, everything, including things like scooters, is a big deal for our community. We hear from people all the time about wanting more accessibility to paths, to uh, safer ways to use all types of multimodal. And so, so we're all working together to do that. We meet on a regular basis, again, to continue that collaboration. Uh, my okay. staff, as they work through designing and developing projects, you know, we bring projects to the Bike Pit Advisory Board, which is really helpful through consideration and conversations with district advisory boards, specific council members. I think we've done a really good job of providing the necessary means to our, our city council members, our elected officials, and to the citizens of giving them, you know, the best options that way. So it's something I really enjoy uh, helping push to, to make sure that we're continuing that cooperation and that partnership. And I think we've done a really good job with it, but we all work really good together. You know, the city manager certainly encourages us to always talk about breaking down the silos, right? Mm -hmm and making sure that we're doing everything we can to communicate with each other. And, and I think we're in a pretty good place with that. Actually, in, in that vein, breaking down the, the silos, the, as you mentioned, the, the transit department was recently reconfigured, renamed as the transportation department. Uh, the city manager has proposed a transportation advisory board to take the place of the bike ped board and the, and the transit board, among other functions and so forth. Is that indicative of, of a change in, a, in approach or relationship? or You know, I think so. I haven't uh, myself gotten uh, directly involved in that conversation. I mean, we're aware of what's going mm -hmm. on. I think it makes sense. I generally try to listen in on the Transit Advisory Board conversations. I oversee everything related to ADA with mm -hmm. the city, which is mm -hmm. ADA coordinator. And so there's some things that come up on the transit side related to ADA concerns and questions I try to be a part of, but I think it probably makes a lot of sense, you know, to consolidate those boards. They, they have the same goal. You know, we're always trying to work to bring everything together that we can in the same place, always as part of the same discussion for multimodal accommodations. So hopefully it'll be a good thing. From our previous conversations, I think probably one of the most common comments that you get from residents is that there's, there's cars speeding down my street. What can you do about it to, to stop them? Can you talk to us about how you handle those situations? You are correct in that it's common and it's prevalent. And it seems like it, uh, last couple of years especially, I've been really surprised about the number of concerns that we've heard. And, and I don't mean that as a bad reflection of anybody who's reached out to us. But it's, you know, I think one of the things uh, that happened is during COVID drove some of that too. People were home more often. Not everybody was driving, but maybe they were home more often than they used to be and a little bit more aware of the traffic in their neighborhoods. But either way, we hear it a lot. I mentioned the Amadon Street Bridge last night. We heard that a lot there from citizens, people who live near the bridge. They're concerned because they say they see speeding traffic already. They're concerned with what happens when you add to it because the bridge is gonna be closed and there's an expectation that some people will cut through the neighborhood. So. Mm. First thing we do uh, is we'll go out and do this traffic study, right? We've got counters that we put down. There's different technology we can use. 
Wichita Police Department's got their trailer. A lot of people have seen that that they'll put out. It does collect data. It hasn't always matched what our counters do, but it's pretty close, pretty mm-hmm. close. And that doesn't mean it's not working. It just does things a different way. But one of the things it does is it flashes the, the speed so it people are aware that they should slow down. But it also gets speed data and can be done quickly. We also put down our tube counters, for, and that, that'll collect counts, traffic counts, number of vehicles, types of vehicles, and it will also collect speed data. So that's the first thing that we do uh, when we hear concerns. The majority of the time, the major majority of the time, there is not a prevalent speeding issue. There are always speeders. There are people who are speeding. There will be two or three people. We'll put the traffic counters out for a week. You'll see a couple people a day going 60 mile an hour down a residential street, which is not good. But when it comes to enforcement and trying to regulate something like that, it's a real challenge uh, to deal with kind of those outliers and the ones that they're exception. The majority of the time, uh, when you look at our residential street speed limits being 30 mile an hour, we'll see the average, and we talk about 85th percentile speed and not to get too far into the weeds on that, but 85th percentile speed is the speed at which 85% of the traffic is going that speed or less. It is the national standard by which speed limits are set. So you can you can usually go out without even putting up speed limit signs. If nobody knew anything about what the speed limit was, people will drive a street the way it feels comfortable. Uh, but we'll just see that it's consistent. It's really consistent. If we get on an arterial street that the Speed limit's 35 mile an hour. You'll see the 85th percentile speed is 37 to 38 miles an hour every single time. On the residential streets, it ranges from 29 to 33 miles an hour almost every single time. (laughs) That still does not make, always make people feel comfortable. We've gone out to neighborhood meetings, especially where there's an established HOA, and we've had Wichita Police Department come out because it's tough uh, from a resource perspective. Wichita Police Department can't be in every neighborhood to, for enforcement at the same time, especially when you don't have a consistent speeding issue, right? Mm-hmm. We've gone out to those neighborhood meetings and talked because when you get in some of the newer developed areas that are somewhat confined, those speeders, they live in the neighborhood, right? Mm-hmm. Some HOAs have found that they have fairly good luck trying to police their own Mm -hmm. and watching out for who Mm -hmm. it is, and and that can kind of work. But that's not, you know, necessarily something that we'd expect is always going to work. So kind of going from there, then, what we start looking at is if there's opportunities to provide traffic calming. And we've started looking at a a lot more in the last few years, working closely at the request of some specific property owners in certain areas of the community, as requested by council members, looking at what other communities have done. The cities of Manhattan and Lawrence have done some things that are kind of a quick fix, at least a trial. Mm -hmm. Things that you can do with glue down plastic delineators. Um, If you happen to be familiar with the area of 13th Street and Perry, which is just on the east side of the bridge over the big river mm-hmm. we put delineators right down the center line of 13th street there right. so that perry is right in right out only that's a good example of what we did for traffic safety in particular because there was a pretty high incident of crashes there 
the sight distance across the bridge is not ideal. Quite a few traffic movements there, but it's not a good place for a traffic signal either. So we did that as a trial, and it's been that way for several years now. It seems to be working pretty well. We were questioned about that initially, question of our sanity, of <laughs> whose, whose stupid idea was that. But I tell you what, we've seen there was a concern that the problem would push further east into the neighborhood, but we haven't seen it. Hmm. And people have adapted. I, I just always use that, I think, as a good example. That's not, that wasn't specifically related to speeding. Uh, but it was a good use, a quick way to see if something would work. And so far it's working, we're just going to leave it in place. We have had uh, the opportunity to look at doing that similar type of thing in areas to try to slow traffic down. On uh, an area of North Wellington and Park Place several years ago, and this was another thing that Scott Wadle got involved in because he was really good at wanting to, to try some things. There was some concerns with speeding in that neighborhood, and we put in a temporary roundabout, if you will. And it, it did well. It did well. There was concerns. You know, we, we hear from both sides. People say that's not going to work. It's not doing any good. I think some people deliberately ran over them to try to prove a point. Uh, but it, it worked. I mean, it, 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 those types of things can mm -hmm. help. I'll tell you that we don't always get the response that you might expect. We had some concerns with speeding on a couple of streets north of Maple between Ridge and Tyler. So this would be kind of south and east of Wilbur Middle School, mm -hmm. where that's at at 2nd and Tyler. A few of those streets, as the way that neighborhood developed over the years, they got pretty long. And there's, no, and there's a couple areas in there where there's no side streets, so you don't get any of that interrupting traffic, mm -hmm. if you will. We went out and did a speed study. There really wasn't a lot of speeding, but the neighborhood was concerned that that it was just kind of a long stretch and people were going around there to avoid the school. There was a lot of a lot of things we talked about and that there was speeding. So we looked at the idea of putting up delineators, right? A couple of things you look at from a design perspective when you're building a roadway is you put curves in a road with one thing you might do as an example to slow traffic down. Or you kind of narrow things up. We have some corridors in our city that are tree-lined. The ones that are the most tree-lined have some of the slowest speeds on them mm. because people feel like they're more confined. It kind of mm -hmm. makes sense, right? It's mm -hmm. human nature. So anyway, on these streets, we wanted to put up some delineators, and we did. We tried a couple of different things. We put some along the edges of the street, tried to bring people in closer together. We put some along the center line for that same reason. Within several days of that being up, there were so many complaints about the neighborhood did not like them, we took them back down. So, so we've been kind of challenged mm -hmm. so far mm -hmm. and trying to figure out the best way to go about this. One thing we are looking at is with design of future new developments, is doing some things to narrow up the roadways. Some of the streets through our new developments are a little wider than they need to be because they were set up to accommodate parking. Parking's not generally happening. And all it's doing is, is creating what looks like a lot wider road where you can go a lot faster. So we're starting to make some changes. When you look at Douglas Street downtown and what we've done a lot of the intersections with the what we call the bulb outs where mm -hmm. we bring the corners out, right. those types of things, even on a residential street, can create a visual effect that really makes you want to slow down. So we're starting to look at some things on new design and new development to accommodate that. We're still looking at responding to concerns I mentioned that whole thing with the delineators. 
if you've noticed recently on First Street coming into Old Town, we put mm -hmm. some delineators up there. Try to slow traffic down coming into Old Town. We're getting ready to do a traffic study on speeds to see if it's had an impact or mm -hmm. not, but we're hoping that that helps. Anyway, sorry, I know that was a lot of information. No, that's, that's good, and no, I appreciate it. Actually, along that line, some cities actively promote to the citizens, ask for ideas or areas where improvements need to be made. For example, the Flint, Flint Hills MPO has a website that has traffic calming ideas on it and asks uh, citizens uh, for, if they have suggestions about where they might, might be placed and so forth. Things like the bulb outs that you were talking about or uh, pedestrian islands and, and that sort of thing. Is that something that the city might consider in, in sort of publicizing and asking for areas that might need improvement or suggestions for improvement, that sort of thing? We, we haven't actively pursued this ourselves. We, we get a lot of requests already. Okay. You know, one of the things I didn't mention and I might talk about real quick is when we hear from these neighborhoods about speeding concerns, one of the first things we want to talk about is putting up stop signs. Mm -hmm. And and we talked about this a lot last night at the Amden meeting. And, and the worst thing that you can do is try to use stop signs for speed control. Because just like a traffic signal, if a stop sign is unwarranted, it can create even more problems than not. Because as soon as, as, soon as people see that there really wasn't a need for a stop sign, they'll start going through it. And that can create a real hazardous and dangerous situation for someone who may be walking or someone on the, who happened, does happen to be on the side street and they're expecting a car to stop and they're not going to stop. Mm -hmm. So I, I mention that too because we get that request a lot. Mm -hmm. So we hear from a lot of people. We don't go act, out actively and say, hey, is anybody interested in us putting up <laughs> stop signs? We have a process and a method <laughs> that, that is generated generally by concerns and complaints. We have not actively pursued this, but we've talked about a lot of the things I just discussed uh, openly and in places like the bike bed advisory board meetings okay. at district mm -hmm. advisory board meetings our council members I think are all pretty aware of these types of options we've talked about and the things that are out there so they try to keep that out there to the forefront at public meetings also and so I think a lot of people are aware of what the options are but again uh, we've had real mixed emotions and response back on some of the areas we've tried to do this and they didn't want it done. So I think we're, we're getting to uh, the end of, of our time here, but do, we ha do you have anything that you'd like to talk about that we haven't already discussed? You know, the, and kind of looking at some of those last couple of questions we had to, to, to go by, and I apologize if I kind of got too far into the weeds on some of the others. Not at all. Not you know, all. we've come a long way, I think, in the last five to ten years. I'm really looking at true multimodal accommodations. I can remember quite a few years ago when, when people across the country started talking about complete streets. I don't think it was a foreign concept to us. Again, we hadn't always looked at bicycle accommodations, which I think we're doing a better job with now. The Places for People initiative uh, through our planning department as part of our community investments plan I think has done a lot to bring the focus back to the core area and to look at trying to take better care of what we've got and trying to make better changes to our existing facilities, our, our existing infrastructure, and make the most out of them. And I think we've done a really good job with that. It's been really nice to have things like the bike ped and uh, bike ped advisory board to, to help that we can kind of bounce some things back and forth. 
and get some guidance from them. But it's something that we're all a lot more aware of now than we have been in the past. And I think we're in a pretty good place. If you look at funding within our capital improvement program, we have a lot more funding now going to what I just talked about. The primary goal of our community investments plan, our comprehensive plan, is to take care of what we've got first, right? Mm -hmm. And we've got more funding going to that than we have had in the past, which I think is really good. So all of our engineers are aware of this. It's more to the forefront for them, even our design consultants of trying to find creative and innovative ways to continue to promote multimodal accommodations. And, and we always look to other communities. Uh, I stay in contact with my counterparts across the, the state and even the Midwest to see what they're doing in their community. So it's always good to hear those ideas. And mm -hmm. so that's exciting to see what's coming next, but we're, we're, we're getting to a lot better place than we used to be. Well, the final question is, we've talked about a lot of different projects and the, the process that you go through and everything. Do you have any suggestions for folks that are interested in providing input on, on projects or understanding what is upcoming and that sort of thing? It's always good if, uh, if people want to look online at our capital improvement program. We're open to always talk to anybody and hear their thoughts. We are out a lot at district advisory boards talking about specific projects. It's during those times that we hear good comments. They've, we've talked uh, quite a bit about Bike Pet Advisory Board and the opportunities for people to be there. Within our website now, uh, we have a place called Forum where we, it's a place for open conversation about specific projects and we will take input. So we're always willing to hear anything. We get, we get some of our best information, obviously, from the citizens. Mm -hmm. And as our community has grown, it's become harder for us to, to be able to stay on top of everything at the same time and, and truly know where we ought to be making the priorities. So we love that input, we love that engagement. And so any place that people can find a way to do that through those types of avenues, being at those meetings, just reaching out to staff, we're always welcome to do that. Well, thank you for your time. We really appreciate uh, all, your, all your comments and your thoughts with your willingness to talk to us. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. I'm, I'm glad I could be here. Thank you, Gary and Alan. That is so much to think about in that interview. I, I, I know I will listen to it several times because it's going to take that much to absorb everything that Gary just shared. That's pretty much what I think every time I leave after talking with him. So. <laughs> but yes, we truly appreciate Gary and the city staff's efforts and diligence to really help improve our city and to make it function for all people. Mm -hmm. um, you can tell he's had to answer that stop sign question a time or two. Uh, and he definitely knows his stuff. I was impressed that he knew about the gap in the bike lane infrastructure between Broadway and 17th Street. So in listening to him talk about stuff, I could not be as level-headed as him in public meetings. I no. mean, just the heat that he has to take on some things. I mean, yeah. I, I think about the changes on McLean that have generated quite the hubbub on social media. And I'm sure that Gary hears all about it. As, as he stated, Wichita has done many conversions from four lanes down to, you know, two lanes or three lanes with a you know, turn lane. And that has had great success and much, you know, mm -hmm. some reductions in crashes. Yeah. Uh, McLean has safety issues. Major and residents, issues. Yeah. Residents along there have not been able to cross safely to get to the river path on the east side. 
We have commuters and other walkers mm -hmm. that want to try to get from the river path over into that neighborhood to cross Absolutely. to the, you know, Ninth Street is a great connector from that river path to the Zoo Boulevard path. Exactly. And that's exactly, it has been identified in the master bicycle plan for over a decade now mm -hmm. um, as a connector route. And also this neighborhood has a really high number of senior living Yes. And it also has uh, residents with disabilities and an elementary school right on 9th Street. It is definitely an important uh, piece to the network. And so I did want to let people know on this project, there really are two main goals for the city. One, to reduce motorist fatalities and crashes. Because, yeah. I mean, you drive down McLean and you're going to see the plastic flowers along the roadside. Yes. Two, then, is to provide that safe, signalized crossing, which will be coming, that allows residents, you know, to cross, like you just mentioned, between the Arc River Path, uh, connecting people to downtown then and to the east side of inf yes. our infrastructure, from that west side or vice versa infrastructure, you know, to the Zoo Boulevard Path. But, you know, due to the curves and the other site issues on McLean, mm -hmm. there really was not enough room for pro proper bike lanes. Right. and. Also, especially because we have the Arc River Path that runs literally right directly to the east, the discussion was, you know, we really need to increase the safety, calm traffic as much as we can without interfering with it, which they right. have already done drone footage and stuff, uh -huh. and it seems to flow fine, especially during Wichita's rush minute mm -hmm. traffic, um, so no problems there. And just to let everyone know, there has been discussion for future improvements to look at actually redesigning the curves um, and issues along McLean, you know, that keep us from doing um, what would be really safe, effective, uh, multimodal right. uh, improvements yes. to that street. So yes. just to let you know, Bike Walk Wichita does not consider McLean to be bike friendly with these new improvements. This was really to calm traffic and really to create that safe crossing Although we do know that the slower traffic it does help. Yes. So. Yes. And it's, and really it's just quieter. It like is when quieter. I, when I walk along there, it, I can actually have a conversation and not have to yell to the person next to me. Absolutely. And I can't imagine living along, you know, in McLean Manors mm -hmm. or something mm -hmm. and just hearing that reduction in noise yes. just has to be wonderful. I enjoyed the last couple of weeks of pool season at Indian mm -hmm. Hills. I mean, it was way more calm and just relaxing not mm -hmm. to hear just the constant motors and horns and mm -hmm. everything going by. So Right. And so the thing that, that kind of strikes me, it's like I hear these complaints about roadway changes being anti-car and... I just think the changes are trying to make mm -hmm. our, our streets more inclusive. Mm -hmm. You know, our friends that are trying to transition out of homelessness cannot immediately afford a car. Alternative transportation like a bicycle is, is necessary. I mean, mm -hmm. at, at Bike Walk Wichita, we see it practically weekly with refugees, yeah. our friends that struggle with homelessness, with teens that are trying to better their situation with the resources they have. Mm -hmm. And making our streets safer for all the users makes Wichita a better city for everyone. It, just because my neighbor doesn't have a car shouldn't mean that they're homebound. Exactly. I mean, that's ridiculous. Yes, absolutely. And heaven forbid that you get a suspended license for a drunk driving or a DUI or whatever. I mean, you can get a suspended license for having a medical condition. Yeah. 
and you may still have to go to work. You still have to get groceries. Yeah. And if your option is to drive with a suspended license, that's right. That's, that's not terrible. What, yeah, that's, that's not, not what. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so these design changes are, mm -hmm. are not anti-car. Absolutely not. They they are just to try to help our city be more inclusive. Absolutely, and, and we have found that the changes they're making does not. It doesn't reduce the number of people driving. Unfortunately. No. We wish, but it, we don't get that the right. impact from that. Definitely trying to, yeah, be more inclusive, safe for all users. And when you have those dedicated spaces on the right. streets, I appreciate that as, yeah. a, as a driver and as a cyclist mm -hmm. and pedestrian. Mm -hmm. I want to know where I should be. Right, That's right. And easy. we just had that, you know, in the news recently, there was that accident on like MacArthur and Broadway mm -hmm. where someone in an electric wheelchair was hit. Yes, and, and killed. And killed. And I know a lot of people that think, well, why is somebody, you know, not driving at Broadway and MacArthur? And it's like, people live around there. People Absolutely. are still going to be utilizing resources that are, that don't involve cars yes. there. And that's, yeah. again, just trying to make our transit, our, our transportation and our mm -hmm. roads inclusive for everyone. Absolutely. So we definitely appreciate the city council and staff for addressing, you know, the significant safety concerns. And we plan to continue advocating for safer spaces for all, including motorists, cyclists, and pedestrians. So thank you, City of Wichita, and to Gary and everyone uh, involved in this project. Just as our volunteers make the magic happen, our local business sponsors are also vital partners who not only make Wichita a better place to shop, dine, and work, but also support our mission to make Wichita a more connected, accessible city that supports everyone biking, walking, and rolling around. As our city opens back up, please shop local and support these businesses who work to make our city better for you. REI at K96 in Greenwich carries high-quality adventure gear, clothing, bikes, lightweight camping equipment, and food to support your next hike or bike adventure. Bicycle Exchange is Wichita's largest bike shop featuring all styles of bikes by Trek, Gary Fisher, Fuji, Electra, and a wide range of bike accessories, gear, and clothing. They're located in Delano. Drop in and check out their selection. And I know there's still a few weeks left of Gary's Monday Night Ride that rolls out from 6 p.m. at Bicycle Exchange. Bicycle Peddler is our local specialized dealer on Rock Road near Central. Bicycle Peddler has a growing selection of exciting bike apparel, accessories, and a full range of services. And be sure to uh, check in about their gravel rides. Yeah, I've heard they're excellent. Pedigo Wichita has recently opened their new location in Bradley Fair next to Trader Joe's. Pedigo features a colorful assortment of electric bikes from cruisers to cargo options. Drop in and test ride one today or rent a bike and join them on a ride. Kansas Department of Transportation provides an annual grant to purchase lights for all of our bikes that roll out of our recycle program and also to support Operation Firefly outreach that makes our streets safer for all users. Wesley Healthcare has provided a grant to install the mile markers and wayfinding signage along the Redbud Path. I hope everyone here has seen it. The signage not only helps residents identify nearby businesses and services, but will also assist emergency services in locating you quicker in case of an emergency. 
Wesley wants to help you be active and healthy every day. United Healthcare is helping expand our reach into Evergreen and Fairmount neighborhoods and with our LGBTQ and refugee friends. United is helping residents get more active and take better control of their health, and we are excited to partner with them. Visionary Print can help you with your podcast, video, and promotional materials. Check out our online store for a variety of fun bike, walk, merchandise. Inspirit Kombucha will help you reach your health goals this year with their refreshing beverages that you can find in many local retailers throughout the city. Thank you to our 2022 sponsors. Well, Amy, it looks like our time is up. Thank you for tuning in. If you are interested in taking action, connecting us with your neighborhood, or have an idea for 2023, please let us know. We will have a new fall recycle shop hours beginning October 11th. So Tuesday, 2 to 6 p.m., Thursday, 4 to 8 p.m., Friday, 1 to 4 p.m., Saturday, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. Yes, we're basically uh, closing on Wednesday when we used to be open. That, that tended to be a very slow day. So definitely drop into the recycle shop and say hello, check it out. Um, we would love to have everybody come by. Thanks to the huge increase in biking and walking, Bike Walk Wichita has an ever-growing network of friends who love shopping local. If you know of a business that could benefit from our hyper-local marketing, contact us and we can share our 2023 sponsorship packet that includes a customized promotion plan for the year. That wraps up our show today. Extra thanks to Amy, Alan, Gary, and all of our volunteers for making the magic happen. We'll see you out and around town.